0: so graham i'm i'm kind of curious what do you really like to photograph i mean i see that like most of us you photograph your surroundings uh but i can't since i have never been to your part of the country or the part where you live specifically i don't know whether that's just what there is or whether those are the things you seek i seek out so i'm wondering what do you like to photograph
1: yeah it's a combination uh certainly Uh, I, uh, you know, anywhere anybody lives, you know, um, you can find the dirty spots and you can find the really beautiful spots. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of like the, you know, the kind of, um, grungy downtrodden. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm a fan of entropy. Anything that's out in the world is, is disintegrating. At a, at a pace. That's the, that's the nature of life. That's the nature. I mean, entropy is one of the laws, right? I, I like looking at those things. Uh, uh, it, you know, it comes down to my concept of um, perfect is boring. Um, it's the imperfections that are interesting. Uh, and so, uh, when I go out and shoot, I'm looking for those things. Uh, I, I love walking across a street in a city and looking at the lines first, you know, the lines painted, uh, in the crosswalk, um, you know, first of all, they were not done perfectly. Uh, you know, there's overspray, there's, uh, there are drips, you know, there, there are all those types of things. And then they've been driven across hundreds of thousands, millions of times, depending on the intersection. And uh, so they don't wear in the same way. Um, They wear differently. Um, uh, One of my favorite things are old metal signs that have been out forever. I don't take many pictures of them, but um, the, the thing that I love about old metal signs is you can have, you know, say the word welcome is there. You can have rust that has completely disintegrated W-E-L. And C-O is kind of rusty. And then M-E is perfect. You know, it's absolutely perfect. And, and I love the way that happens in our world. So uh, I take a lot of pictures of, um, in my part of the world, it's not difficult to find a, a an old uh, what we call cracker houses, uh, down here. And, and, uh, just to be, to, to clue you in, cracker's not a derogative term. Uh, a cracker is a Florida cowboy, uh, and it comes from the cracking of the whip. Uh, so an old cracker house, um, sits up off the ground. Usually the foundation is open so air can flow underneath it. Um, and, uh, those are absolutely beautiful when you can find them, uh, and you can get close enough to photograph them. Uh, so that's the type of thing I like. I like, uh, disintegration. I like entropy. I, 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 I like okay, all so, that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. So you're finding, you're finding plenty of what you like to photograph in.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there, <laughs> where I live, it's plentiful. Um, and you know, a part of the deal is when you do anything like that, you have to think about who is living there because you know, there are places where you go right around the corner from my house is what I swear is a concrete garage. And I know that there's a family living in that concrete garage. And, um, you know, so you, I, I have resisted taking pictures of that because I also know that that type of housing is representative of uh, people living a very hard life. Um, You know, and some of it's by choice, I'm sure for some people and some of it's by misfortune. uh, And some of it is uh, through ignorance, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way the world is. Uh, So I'm also very conscious of that. You know, every time I take a picture of a building that once housed a business, I, I, I think about the fact that that business was somebody's dream and by going out of business, uh, somebody's dream has died. So, but that's what I like taking pictures of. Uh, and so that's what uh, a lot of my stream is. Uh, I'm under the influence of William Eggleston. So almost every one of my pictures on Flickr has this little tag of banal. <laughs>
0: So, uh-huh.
1: you know, uh, whether it truly is up to his level or not, I don't know, but, uh, but that's what I do.
0: Well, it, it strikes me that your love of chaos shows up in your camera making as well.
1: <laughs> that's a backhanded compliment <laughs> if there ever was one, but yes, absolutely. Sure. It does. Uh, cause I <laughs> plunge in. Um, so, so what do you like taking pictures of?
0: Oh, too many things, uh, that's sort of my problem is I get enthusiastic about too many things and then I get overwhelmed. But, uh, and then the environment that I live in is particularly, there's a lot of beautiful stuff around here. Um, so it sort of pushes me towards nature photography, landscape photography. Uh, when I'm in a city, I uh, shoot street, I, I guess I sh- try and, uh, wherever I am, I try and photograph what's around. But what, um, what interests me, And I, it's something that's related to what you said. You talked about entropy and wanting to photograph disintegration and how perfect is boring. And when I first joined Flickr, I started a Flickr group that posts photographs that I heavily curate, but which are an attempt to kind of track this idea, which is that uh, I I took it from a quote, which is attributed to a lot of different people, but I think the original person was Edgar Allan Poe and he said there is no exquisite beauty without some strangeness in the proportion and that's the idea that nothing's beautiful without an imperfection so I guess I'm really interested in photos that are both beautiful and strange and if you can get both of those things in you sort of get a kind of a well-rounded complete kind of everything that you can get in a photo is there right so it's not just a beautiful photograph but it's also not just a peculiar when it's got it all right yeah so that's sort of a goal in my own work and it's fun to try and pick out images of in other people's work that are that have those qualities and it's just it's very subjective it's just my opinion and then i'll invite them to post on it on the uh on the group and 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 sort of look at what develops over time
1: and 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 that that makes a lot of sense uh you've invited me into that group and i never quite understood it because maybe i didn't go in and read the uh read the posting at the top the 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 um uh, the description of the group but uh but yeah that makes absolute sense so uh, okay so let's start the handmade camera podcast (laughs) Okay, so so you're building a camera. Um, what do you do to approach the build? How do you how do you decide what to do first?
0: Uh, in, most of the time, I start with a camera that that I want to make, and I first I have an idea. Well, I want a camera that can do such and such. Like, I want a camera that can would be really good for four by five macro photography. So, like that might be a practical goal. And then I try and figure out well how can I do that, and then it becomes a matter of of looking for the parts and components that I can afford or or find or or happen to be in my cupboard or whatever. Sure. Um, but I usually start with uh, a a device that I need.
1: Okay, so what you're saying is something like a a camera that will get a specific shooting situation. So exactly. in that case, the the four by five macro is a is a situation. Uh, it could be something like shooting a location. So, uh, you, you've talked about doing the underwater housing for, for a press camera, right?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right.
1: So that would be like, uh, um, uh, in, in a location, a specific lo- location you want to shoot. One of the things that I'm always inspired by is a specific format. I think we've talked about this before. Uh, but the idea, you know, you can shoot, you know uh I love the six four five uh proportions, but one of the things I've also wanted to shoot uh w- wanted to make uh and Mamaya made one, but it's uh you know uh something like a five hundred dollar camera if you if you buy one today, but that's a thirty five millimeter camera that'll shoot square now uh I'm not sure nice. exactly what my advantage is of shooting square, but what the heck I want one you know. And you can always do that, you know. You can always oh crop yeah, you could just something. tape
0: off the viewfinder and <laughs> and then right. crop but it then, later. <laughs> but,
1: but then you're advancing thirty five. You're, uh, you're wasting film. Right? You're wasting film. Yeah, you're wasting yeah, film. Right. So, so part of the deal would be with that is is uh, making something that would be um, that 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 actually makes sense within that format. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- that also leads to another one that I uh, I have a lot, which is a specific form factor. Sometimes I like a camera that is just always in my pocket and is unobtrusive there. Uh, so the form factor of a camera, a small and light camera will, uh, will work very well for me. Um, you know, so, so sometimes it's, sometimes it's that form factor.
0: I, I like to do a lot of mountaineering and backcountry travel and, There, I need, I need lightweight, small cameras and, but I also want to take big film back where there's big, beautiful landscapes. So that's a reason that I've been putting together some of the cameras I'm working on is to get really lightweight, medium format cameras.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you're going to start with something already. Um, so, you know, it was something, you know, was what you're talking about. Um, you know, what do you have in the cupboard? Uh, so it could be like the body or, or the lens. Um, I often will start lens out uh, um, or lens in from your, from that point of view.
0: So in other words, you, you pick a lens and then decide how to make a camera that goes with it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I was in my, um, in, in my little workspace today and I was looking at what I had for lenses and I have a ton of them. I went on a spree and I have a ton of lenses and, um, uh, and I've got to figure out good uses for them. Like I have a, a Polaroid lens, um, a 75 millimeter Polaroid lens. What's really nice about it is it's a self-cocking lens. So you can take shot, 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 and you can do multiple exposures. And, uh, that's something that, uh, you know, so that would be a situation and a lens that I would build out from. So,
0: you know what, you know, what occurs to me, you want to make a camera with that does square on 35 and you want to use this, this lens. Well, that immediately makes me think you need to make a 35 millimeter camera that will take that lens and that will allow you to advance the film as little or as much as you want. So you could even do like continuously overlapping Sure, that's, photos, a, that's an idea. That's an idea. Although that lens probably can expose a much bigger piece of film, so I guess you could do that with a 120, couldn't you? That's you could. A, you could absolutely. Yeah, so sort of a waste, yeah. But I like the idea, and I'm sure you can find a self cocking lens that'll work for 35 as well. Yeah, absolutely. Or a, yeah, or a way to, and that brings up something that I really, I, I'm, uh, I have a lot of lenses lying around too, but I, I want to use them for too many different things. So I have a really hard time with any kind of permanent installation, and I'm I work very hard to make it easy to to switch lenses around or switch film backs around sure. because, you know, I want to get the most out of, and you end up liking certain ones, you know, and you you want to use them on more than one camera, so that that's a, a high on my list of priorities. It's interchangeable parts.
1: So once you have that uh, that start, um, uh, then then you kind of have to. You know, once you have that starting point, often that will then dictate the approach of the build. If you're going to start with a lens, then you have to figure out, okay, you know, just like what we were talking about. What's the image circle for that lens? What can it do? What is it going to be best at? Um, Can it be pushed in a way that's interesting? Um, So then you start building out from that. Or say you, you know, you have a body. Then you can build, you know, you, you might need to have a, a, a film back for it, or, you know, a, a, yeah, a film transport back or, and a lens. So then that dictates that. So once you have that kind of first inspiration, then that should really dictate the direction that you go with the rest of the build. Once we have a starting point, there are essentially seven components that need to be addressed. Do you want to go over these?
0: Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I was trying to think what the... And of course, you can make a camera without all seven of these things. You right. could probably reduce it. You could probably reduce it down to one or two for a simple pinhole camera. But, but, it, but we're talking about an ordinary um, camera that's fairly versatile and you can do a lot with it. So first of all, you need either a film holder of some kind or a sensor if you're going to use a, some sort of digital way of recording. Uh, we tend to use film. Um, and so it's either going to be some sort of, uh, film plate, uh, negative holder or film transport mechanism that will move roll film. And then you need a light type box, um, for, you know, to house everything to attach the parts to and to, and to keep things the right distance apart. So the lens is the right distance from the film. Then you need a shutter, um, which could be as simple as a lens cap, or it could be something built into a lens, or it could be an entirely separate project, building a shutter, which is something I want to try. Now, you need a way to control aperture. Um, you don't have to have that. You could have a fixed aperture camera, but it's nice to be able to adjust aperture. Um, and, of course, most modern lenses come with a built-in aperture, but if you're using a really old lens that doesn't have that, or if you're making your own lens, there's a really simple way to make apertures that the earliest cameras used, which is called a waterhouse stop. And that's just, it's just a sheet of metal or wood with a, with the right size hole in it. You slide it in to a slot. And then if you want a different one, you pull it out and put, you know, slide the other one in. Um, so there, you could really make all of this stuff quite simply if you, if you have to, or if you want to.
1: Lensbaby uses those. They, they have a little drop in. Oh, apertures. cool. Yeah. yeah. And, right. um, and some of them are, um, you know, like, uh, the equivalent of a zone plate. So there'd be multiple apertures within one of those apertures. So there'd be multiple that's, holes and that, that's really that would give you a very soft image, uh, which is something that, that's nice. So there are some modern, uh, lenses that, that are doing that, using that.
0: It's appealing. It'd be fun to make a kind of a really like, almost like an experimental camera where all of the parts were adjustable in that way where you, you didn't just use standard stuff. I think that'd be right. really interesting just to set up a camera for, you know, constantly changing the components. Um, so, and then you need some way to focus the light. So usually that's a lens or a pinhole. But as you mentioned, there are much more obscure devices out there, uh, like zone plates and there's plenty of other options, but we tend to think of lenses and then, right. uh, with most Lenses, you need a way to focus. Uh, Some lenses don't need it. A really tiny, tiny aperture like a pinhole has essentially infinite depth of field, so there's no need for a focusing mechanism. But any anything that has a limited depth of field, you need a way to adjust the distance between the lens and the film to bring it into focus.
1: Yeah, uh, and and then there's also um, one of the things that I use a lot is that um, not uh, necessarily a focusing mechanism, but you set the lens to that um, uh, hyperfocal distance. So right. that would be a calculation right. ahead of time. But, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, usually that focusing is, and I'll tell you when I show a camera, uh, somewhere almost always, what's the first question, how do you focus that? So, mm-hmm. so then you have to go into that whole, uh, that whole focusing, uh, and hyperfocal, uh, description, but, but that's usually, um, what we start with. And oh uh, one more thing one oh, yeah. more thing oh yeah oh yeah yeah a lot
0: yeah. of a lot of times it's a good idea to have a viewfinder basically either a way to see what the lens is seeing or a tube that you're going to sight through to aim the camera and get a sense of what the what the uh, composition of the image will be
1: sure and uh one of the uh a few of the cameras that I have that I've been uh that I've built which are the um you know franken cameras where I start with a body put another lens on it uh, I have um, either left off by choice or left off um, by necessity a view viewfinder. And if I have anything that's like a viewfinder, I feel like I've got to look through it. But if I have no viewfinder at all, I just kind of hold it up and go, ah, ah, okay, that's what it's going to be. Click
0: so yeah that's actually very appealing i think a lot of pinholes just get away with like a couple of lines drawn on the top to show roughly the angle of view and you know you pretty much want to have them level so you just set it down level aim it you're ready to go
1: Uh, today, uh, of those seven things that we've talked about today, we're going to, uh, talk about the body of the camera. Uh, and the, the body has, a, one essential role. It, it, there, it, it can have many other roles, but the most essential role is that it is a light tight box, um, that connects other components. So, um... It, it can house the film transport or maybe it doesn't, but it uh, its key component is that uh, it connects other components together. So uh, it can have the lens on the front roll film holder in the back. It can have uh, it, it can have a tripod socket. it can have all sorts of things. Um, so so the question is how do you make a body? Um, and the easiest one is the one that we've already mentioned before. And that is uh, getting a, a camera body that already exists. Now, this could be an old SLR. It could be a uh, an old mechanical SLR. It could be the folders, the folding cameras. Those are the ones that I, I particularly like using. Uh, but it it uh, usually that body has a few advantages uh, from making um, it, it. So you don't have to make it from scratch. And, um, it, it, one of the things it will often have is a viewfinder or a mounting shoe or one of those other things that's already built in. Um, and, uh, it'll have a tripod socket, uh, that's already built in. Um, it'll have film transport maybe already built in. So that's one of right, the advantages. Fa- maybe, that.
0: maybe a fame, famous name or logo, you know, yeah, exactly impressive. Exactly. Right.
1: <laughs> yes, my my <laughs> pin Leica. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll make one go. one of these days. I'll make a pin Leica one of these days. Um, so anyway, the other the other option is found objects. And um, I was just on, uh, and this is actually now about a month ago, uh, but we're recording a little bit earlier. I was just on the lensless podcast, and Corey was talking about finding a planter's tin that was just the right size for five by seven film. And, uh, and he used that, uh, and, you know, cut a hole and he does, he does pinholes and that's a perfect example of a found object.
0: Yeah. Except that I don't know what a planter's tin is.
1: Oh, planter's peanuts. It was apparently a tin that was, uh, that was just, just five by seven. Um, and you know, so it held the film perfectly and it was a one shot camera. Right. So so that that's a perfect example of one of those.
0: Well, yeah, you know, one shot I one shot cameras really appeal to me that and and using paper negatives and I I just haven't gotten around to doing it yet. Yeah. But the idea is the idea is very attractive to me because you get away from all the hassles with uh special you know formats and yeah. Sure.
1: One one thing that I just saw is uh, have you done it in uh, you you talked about um having uh, Polaroid as one of your first cameras that you, that you did a lot of work with. Yeah.
0: First, the very first. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the, uh, have you done much with Instax?
0: No, I haven't done anything with Instax and okay. very little with Polaroid. I'm not, I'm not really, I, I like them, but I'm not really attracted to, I guess it's the cost mostly, you know, yeah. um, you get a really small print and it costs a lot of money. So I just haven't really done it. Although I have an old, um, spectra polaroid that i uh-huh. used to use for work and i did get one uh pack of film from the impossible project and ran it through it and it it still works and it was actually really fun so i might do some more yeah
1: yeah i um uh i have a an Instax uh whatever the pro version was and i don't remember it uh now it's in the closet you're talking oh, about a camera or a printer yeah. oh uh no a camera um, and it, uh, oh, it's right over there. It's an Instax Mini 90 and it has, um, you know, all sorts of, uh, good functions to it, but here's, here's where I was going. The reason why I asked about that was I saw a, I saw this online. It's not, I think it was on Instructables. It's certainly not my idea, but the idea is you tape a, um, uh, a single sheet you know, obviously you haven't exposed it, but a single sheet of Instax film to the back of whatever, you know, pinhole box you have and you you do a normal pinhole exposure, then take it out and in a light-tight room, use a, a rolling pin. And uh, and so you get a, a pinhole one-shot camera that way. I thought that that was kind of interesting. Nice. And, and uh, they did it with like an aluminum takeout box that they had spray painted black which i thought was very interesting.
0: Oh, that's very appealing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's a one shot, you know, and uh although i suppose you could take a dark bag and do it. You know, you could take a dark bag around. Yeah, no, one,
0: I, that's know. immediately what i was thinking or and, and one of those little uh brayers for printmaking. Right. Um, you know, right. a nice handy little roller. I've got one. Right. Yeah, that would be great.
1: Yeah, and we're um we're 2 weeks from our deadline for our garbage cam challenge and i have gone so far as to identify the box i'm going to use to build it and what it is is it's an old ipod touch um uh the box that it comes with
0: what's with this two weeks what deadline two (laughs) weeks
1: well (laughs) two weeks ago in uh episode uh one uh, the the besa episode we did the uh the garbage cam challenge
0: I remember and... the challenge I just don't remember anything about a deadline
1: oh <laughs> well we we had said we had said that it would be a month from from the release date and the release date is uh april 21st so uh, so we will uh you know we're, we're now in may 7th.
0: So I better get thinking. I better start thinking about this.
1: Yes. So so, <laughs> <laughs> hey, aren't you glad I mentioned it? Right. Um, so so, the box that I'm going to use is, and you can do it with. Uh, I think an iPhone box is about the same size. Um, and I know you're a proud user of burner phones, but maybe you can get one. Uh, get one from somebody else.
0: Now that's too high tech for me. I don't. The box that an iPhone came in. It's not a garbagey enough. I'm gonna no, have oh. to. Well, also with, with only two weeks to go, I'm definitely, I'm going to take a, I'm going to be inspired by one of our uh, listeners who put up a fantastic picture of a camera he made. And I was really impressed by the photographs and I asked him what the camera was like and he just punched a hole in the lid of a yogurt tin, threw some oh, film yeah. in the bottom and that was the camera.
1: <laughs> so right. I, right. I have a backup plan. <laughs> yeah, well, you do know that once you build it, you've got to then do some photographic challenges. Uh, So you You take
0: some, take some photographs,
1: take some photographs. Right. Exactly. So so one of the things, uh, I've done, I've done some measurements on this box and one of the things that's nice about it, and this is, this is the type of thing that you're looking for when you're looking for, um, you know, a found object is that if you turn it, so it's sitting on its side, but it, the, the, uh, the decorative side is facing towards you. Um, then you could can put in two or you can put in a roll of 120 it's perfectly sized for that but better than that is if you were to turn it then and lay it down so it's it's flat on its back that height is perfect for a 35 mm canister and the only thing that you would have to do with that 35 mm canister is punch a little hole for the you know for the knob portion of the canister to come out, and you've got to turn it anyway, so why not have that portion come out? So I haven't decided whether it's going to be thirty-five or one hundred and twenty, but I have I've identified that as the box. Now I have to decide whether it's going to be lensed or not. I'm thinking it's probably going to be pinhole, but but we'll see we'll see how that goes. So so you know that that's that kind of logic of the size is one of the big key things that you want to do when you're looking for uh, a found object box. But, it, so, yeah, okay, so that's one way to go. Uh, another way to go is with uh, materials made from scratch. And, you know, just a quick run across, I mean, the, the four that I came up with are, you know, wood, metal, plastic, and cardboard. Um, now, you have an affinity for metal. Uh, being yes. being a person who makes his living uh, by designing, manipulating, and uh, creating some amazing decorative metal works. So, what metal would you use? What would be your metal of choice uh, in making a body? Yeah. From scratch?
0: So I, for cameras, I'm pretty much a believer in mixing a lot of materials together, um, uh-huh. because they all have you know qualities that make them good for one thing or another. Metal is. It's wonderful to work with, but it has problems. Like it, it tends to to be friendly to co- you know co- uh, condensation and oh, yeah. temperature fluctuation and corrosion. And so there's all kinds of problems with metal. I'm definitely going to make some all metal cameras because it's fun, not because it's necessarily a good idea. Um, <laughs> uh, the They're durable. Aluminum, right? Durable, alu- aluminum see. is nice and light, and it's really easy to work with. Uh, but it also is prone to corrode. Steel has its place. The, the traditional cameras made of really thin uh, pieces of metal actually are really interesting, but yeah. it's not as easy to work that way. I think so. For me, I'll probably typically make hybrids between of wood and metal combined. Uh-huh. That would be my my way to go. But, um, you know, then there are all the exotic metals. I mean, there's stainless steel. And then of course, most cameras are made out of more even more exotic alloys. But they use special industrial processes which aren't as easy to replicate at home so it makes more sense to kind of to, to me to make it uh, take a sort of a carpentry approach and and whether you're using metal or wood make things that you can screw and glue together that you can you know cut with fairly simple tools and right it just makes your life a lot easier and and there's a, a kind of a, a wonderful quality to tools like that i mean if you look at i don't know like an, a really old homemade toolbox can be one, you know, really lovely without being fancy. And so that's kind of the, the, the thinking I have for this type of work. Um, although eventually I, I, suppose I'll be attracted to making something really fancy looking, but at this stage, that's not what I'm interested in. Uh,
1: so just, um, you know, not getting into too much, uh, description, but, uh, steel can be bent at a 90 degree angle, but aluminum tends to tear. No, well, you
0: can, no, you, you can bend, no, you can bend aluminum. You can, you can shape most metals most ways, but you need to learn how to do it. You need to learn the right approach. So what aluminum is, there are many alloys of aluminum too, so we shouldn't generalize, but, but, but basic kind of, uh, not very fancy aluminum, the kind you'd find in the hardware store. Right. You can bend it to 90 degrees. You just have to be careful that it doesn't have any nicks or if you cut it, you want to leave the cut really smooth. You want to take, take the trouble to smooth the edges because what makes aluminum tend to break is if there's already a, a little bit of a crack or a notch, it will okay. start a crack. Okay. Um, but, but as, but if you treat it right, you can certainly bend it. Uh, it's, it's a good material and that you can work with it. You, you have to work with a little bit of a thicker piece, but it can, it's so much lighter that. It weighs a third what steel weighs. Um, anyway, uh, there's also yeah. stainless steel. It, and if you buy thin sheets of it, it can be a great material because a lot of times the best way to make a precise camera is basically a sort of a lamination approach where you add, a, you make a whole bunch of layers of, uh, you know. So basically you're cutting boards and sheet metal into shapes that you then bolt together or glue together. Okay. Um, But it gives you a lot of control, um, over precise dimension, for instance. So if you build a box that's a little too short and then add thin shims until it's right, that's like a nice kind of way to, to get something precise. Okay. Okay. You know, yeah. Anyway, we could go into a lot of detail, but this is the place for it.
1: Yeah. I'm, Um, I'm thinking there's a show there. Um, or a a good section of a show right in with that. I'd love to hear more about that. And that's something 30 years figuring
0: out how to fabricate really precise things without using any of the techniques of a machinist. So basically you, there's all, you just figure out tricks and, and that's the way I approach this kind of thing. Um, you don't, you don't need a machine shop to make something precise.
1: Okay. So once we've made, say we made it out of cardboard or we've made it out of wood, um, wood is by the way, one of my favorite materials to use because the wood can often be, um, a very beautiful grain, you know, it can have, a, it, it can be in the end, an extremely beautiful, um, object, and uh so so wood is is often one of my favorites, but but cartoon- Yeah,
0: and it re- and it's resistant to condensation and corrosion and all those things, and it's also probably there are very few substances that can compete with it for strength to weight ratio I mean it, okay. it's a fantastic material, yeah, okay, it's great yeah yeah
1: i i I never think of it in those terms, but that's a that's a great way to do it so so once we've got our 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 material um so The functions, uh, we'll we'll hit them again really quickly. Uh, It has to be light tight. It has to house the film transport or not. And if it doesn't house the film transport, it has to allow access to a film transport. So uh, that could be a back or it could be something like um, the... um, uh, with with like uh matchbooks matchbox pinholes uh you just take two film cans and you put it on either side side of a matchbox and you can um uh have the the cans on either side so in this case it would have to have it, it would be allowing access through uh the body um so or it allows uh, like a film transport uh back you know Uh, like, uh, or,
0: or even, or even an old fashioned film holder. Those are really handy. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Once again, you know, uh, I, I, I know that there are lots of large format people out there and, and I just, I'm just staying away. I'm just staying away. I'm just, just (laughs) money's.
0: Here's another idea that I'm interested in. I know other people have done this, but you mentioned before using, um, photographic paper instead of film and sticking it to the back of your, you know, box camera. Well, a really great way to deal with that would be to have, uh, like a, basically a light proof glove okay. that you could put your hand in and reach inside the camera and have a whole box of, of paper in there, like an empty, an empty one and a full one. And you'd have to keep track, but you could pull out of the, the fresh film, you know, uh, pieces of photo paper, tape it, you know, using your rubber, maybe you'd need two rubber gloves, tape it to the back of the camera. When it's exposed, you reach in there again and stick it in the other box, take a new piece out. So you could, you know, you could have a hundred shot paper negative <laughs> camera that way. <laughs> Provided you have I think a that'd be great. to carry it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. no, I, I think, that, I think this is a practical idea. And I know that, uh, so, so I know of someone who's made something like that, where you develop the, you do actually develop the paper inside the camera as well. So there's, there's a lot of great possibilities. Okay. So, yeah. So, oh, and then, wait, one more. One okay, more. The yeah, most okay. extreme form I've seen is there's a guy who's, and this is more than one person has done something like this, but this guy, and I'm sorry, I don't have the reference, but he turned a truck into a giant wet plate camera where the plates are like six feet, you know, six feet high or wow. whatever and and he's wow. he had he live he's in the camera he's taking the picture from inside the camera and then developing it inside the camera because yeah. it's the whole back of a truck and so that you yeah. could take it to that extreme if you make a big enough camera you can go inside it and operate everything from inside
1: <laughs> yeah uh, that reminds me of the the world's biggest camera ever made and it was something like it, it had a negative or a I, you know, I guess maybe it was positive paper but uh it was something like 14 by 10 feet. It was That's huge. It was, it was designed to shoot a train and it took them, you know, several weeks to set it up. Uh, anyway, it's a uh, interesting thing. So um, back to the body. It It's light tight. It houses the film transport or access to the film transport. It mounts the lens, the shutter, the aperture, if you're going to use those. Uh, mm-hmm. it mounts the back if a separate back's needed and it mounts the viewfinder. So it needs to have lots of like little connections. Uh,
0: yeah, and, and usually, usually it's, it's nice to have a tripod mount on there. Yeah, yeah,
1: right. Exactly. Um, you know, and there are different types of connections that can be used. Um, but, uh, it, all those, those little connections are, are, are very important. So. Uh, so those are, you know, once again, those are the functions.
0: Okay. So now we've, we've come up with some sort of a body and we need to think about how we're going to connect a lens to one end. And if, if it needs a film back, uh, how to connect that to the back and, uh, perhaps a tripod connection. So basically we're going to talk about the ways to attach things. I mean, the basic of course is just, you know, gaffer tape or glue, But if you want your camera to be able to come apart and maybe swap parts or take it apart to improve it, it's, it's sometimes better not to commit yourself with, with glue right at the start. Tape's a good temporary connection. Yeah. While you're experimenting and it, sometimes it's all you need, but it's nice to, it's nice, for instance, with film backs to be able to swap them.
1: Yeah. uh, Absolutely. So, okay. So you've got the idea. Uh, you've, you've got all those connections. You've, you, you've figured out um, the, uh, you know, how the, the body and lens are, are lens are going to connect. Um, often, um, one of the, one of the best ways to make a, a connection is if, if you're using like a, you know, a 35 millimeter system camera, um, you know, you, you can buy either a, um, uh, Oh, what do they call them? Uh, like 1.8 tele teleconverters, you can buy a teleconverter, and glue or, it or on even with one or just side. extension
0: extension tubes. Or yeah, extension, or extension tubes. tubes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, or or adapters. Um, sure. And it's not just 35 millimeter. You can get them for uh, medium format cameras too.
1: Right, right. Um, and you can uh, when you when you get those, then you can just glue it or or screw it in or whatever to to fix it to the to the body. Um, that's
0: one reason that the lens adapters can be nice to use so for instance if you if you say you have like a nikon lens you want to put on your homemade camera um, it can be kind of a good way to do it. it can be to look for an adapter for some say mirrorless camera that would be say let's just say an m42 to nikon connection um, now that would actually probably have a piece of glass in it that you'd have to remove but you can do that anyway the point i'm making is that you could even make connectors that you can unscrew or screw from your body. You can make this more complicated if you want to, is, is basically what I'm getting at. So that it's, it, it's, it's, you could switch around between different, different types of lens.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're building from scratch and it doesn't have a tripod connection, one of the great things about tripod connectors are that they're just quarter inch.
0: Yeah, it's a quarter 20 thread.
1: Yeah, nut. one quarter 20 thread, which is the standard quarter inch nut. So you can just go get a quarter inch nut and, uh, and, and put it in the, in the body, or you could even put it on the surface of the bottom of the body if you need to do that.
0: You can do that, and i especially look out for the ones that have a big flange built into the nut, so there's a better gluing surface. And you can also get embeds if you go to a cabinet supply place. They make ones that are designed to be embedded in wood with glue. Oh yeah, um, good point. So so there's all kinds of uh, yeah, but it is the, the most common thread size, which somebody was thinking back when they invented that. Yeah,
1: as opposed to most of the things that we have to uh, to deal. Of course, with. A,
0: a lot of old cameras have a three eighths thread, um, and you can screw around with these little adapters that reduce it to quarter inch. Um, but I recently just happened on an old, a used tripod bald head that is of a higher quality than I'm used to. And it's really cool. It has a eighths thread, but if you push hard on it, the three eighths thread just retracts and reveals a quarter inch. Oh, really? so you can li- you can literally screw any camera right onto this tripod without any adapter. You just push and turn and it, it just basically presents the right thread. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's nice. very cool. Yeah.
1: So, okay. So we've got all that figured out. The, the next step is, you know, basically drop the plans and, um, and take measurements. Um, uh, one of the things that I use a lot is, um, is, is a caliper. Uh, it's a digital caliper and I've seen it under probably about 15 different brands. I got mine from uh, from Harbor Freight for uh, twelve dollars, something like that. But it's a digital caliper that works in both inches and millimeters, and that has been that's been a a, a huge boon uh, to my building. In fact, I I was just um, uh, measuring today um, for or the uh, some wood stock that I have. I, I have a plank that I'm going to, um, uh, to use for a camera. So, uh, I was just measuring that out. So, um, one of the things that you, if you're going to have an existing film transport mechanism, so you're using something, uh, that has sprockets or, you know, something else, you have to measure all that out and figure out, you know, how, how big that box needs to be. So it, you know, the minimum is it's got to fit all those components, right? So you have to figure out how big those components are. Um You have to figure out how, how, what, what's the format of your, of your image. If it's going to be a, um you know, a 35 millimeter frame, the standard 35 millimeter frame is 24 high by 36 wide and you know, so you have to, you, you have to take that into account as well. So you have to measure that. And then there's a certain amount of distance from the edge of that film gate to where the take up reel is. So you have to add, you know, some space in there. Um, those are all parts of the, uh, parts of the camera that you have to figure out. You, um,
0: you know the 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 one thing that of all of the measurements the one that i think is the most crucial is the distance between the lens and the film and i and i and i know that you can find tables on a lot of lenses you know on the internet that will tell you how far that's supposed to be but i found from experience that i don't know whether it's variation between one lens and another or what but i've found quite often exceptions to those rules or maybe it's simply that The The lens that I, you know, have is from a different, you know, age and from a different time or whatever. And it just doesn't quite come out the way it's supposed to. So one of the things I want to throw in at at this point in the discussion is that I really like to design any camera so that there's an adjustment in it somewhere for the distance between the lens and the film, not other than the focusing mechanism, a separate way to adjust it. So... That if you're wrong, you can fix it fairly easily by making the camera a little longer or a little shorter. And with that in mind, that means you would you would do your calculations and then purposely make the box a little too short and have a handy way to put in shims to make it a little bit longer if you need
1: sure, to. Sure, absolutely. And that and that's something. Let's let's do a little bit of definition uh, on this. Um, what we're talking about is the distance between the lens and the film plane. That mm-hmm. is that you know that dictates kind of sometimes how thick your box is or how thin your box has to be, um, and then it also would dictate if your uh, if if your box is only half as thick as that distance between the film plane and the lens, um, then you we would you have to, to add, build a, yeah. yeah build build a lens cone build build something out front, but there here's here's where there's a lot of confusion on this and this was a big learning curve for me and Nick helped me out a lot for with this. So, uh, I, I've got to, you know, give you total. Cl- so total so you're
0: going to talk about the difference between the flange back distance, which is the, the measurement between the film plane and the, the part of the lens that mates with the camera. That's the flange. That is not actually the same thing as the focal length because most lenses have the, there's a center of, the center of the focus is where all of the light rays converge in a theoretically like, you know, almost like infinitely small point that isn't usually at the back of the lens. That's usually somewhere farther forward in the lens. Or, and or, it could wh- be, and that, or it could be behind it, the lens. In fact. It could be. Yes, it could be. So you need to know that technical thing, but I want to, I want to make this easier for people. You don't actually have to know technically where that, you know special place is to measure focal length because there's a way to cheat all you need is some kind of adjustable camera with a way to look at the back of it uh and you can put that lens on there and then just move it back and forth until you've got a, a an image in focus on something like ground glass or a piece of scotch tape or whatever you're using to view the image at the back of this and it's really worth setting up some way to, to, you know, like for instance, an old press camera or an old view camera or anything with a an adju- really adjustable focus is a way that you can, you can, you can find out exactly where that measurement, uh, is in focus. But the crucial thing is you have to be focusing on something that's really far away because the shortest distance is, the, is when the lens is focused at infinity. And if your camera is longer than that, you'll never be able to focus on far away things. So. Right you need, you need, you need a couple things. You need a way to, uh, get the lens in focus and see when it's in focus. Uh, so you say using an old Bellows camera, and then you need a far away object to focus on, and then you can get the exact measurement that you need for your camera.
1: And, um, that high tech object that you were talking about that, you know, like m- maybe a view camera or something that could, you know, compress down to a very short distance. Um, there is also another way of doing it, uh, and I did it with a camera that, that or with a lens that was really fooling me. Um, and that is you take two you take a a cardboard core from paper towels, okay Car- yeah, could, there you go. You could do two toilet paper <laughs> tubes as well. And you're well, go- who, said
0: a, who said a toilet paper tube wasn't a view camera? I right, exactly. It. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, right? Um, right.
1: So um, there. Is, so what you do is you 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 cut it into two parts, and then you slit one of them, and then put in a little bit of of extra space. So you you put in uh, some tape. So, so this is
0: like an old pirate telescope, Yeah, basically.
1: exactly. So yeah. one of the pieces of cardboard slides over the other piece of cardboard. And then you can extend it out to certain distances. And, you know, the measurements are, of course, are all, you know, uh, the measurements of the tubes are really important. And then you put, what I put was ground glass, but what Nick tells us is so all you have to do is put scotch tape on the end of it, and that will your image will resolve on that scotch tape. And then you you move the lens back and forth looking at the horizon. And when it gets to you know that horizon being per per, 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 ah, perfectly in focus, then what you are going to end up with that's your flange focal distance because yeah um that when you where you put the the um, the, the back yeah, of the lens gonna, to the cardboard, that's your flange.
0: Right. You're going to measure from the back of the lens to the scotch tape right. and then, and take that measurement. And that's, but the important thing is that's your infinity focus distance. Right. So, so infinity will be in focus. If you want the lens to focus on things closer up, then that distance will increase. So right. it's your minimum, minimum dimension for your box and then. If you want, you could make it a little bit longer if you're trying for hyperfocal or whatever. Yeah.
1: Uh, right. now shorter will give you a camera that will focus past infinity and right. that's no good. <laughs> that doesn't No, do it, it's annoying because,
0: <laughs> no, it's annoying. Although, although it could be a valid place to start if you're going to shim the lens out afterward because sure. what we just described gives you a pretty good measurement, but to, to be, it's, it pays to be uh, conservative, and you might choose to make your camera a, million, a millimeter shorter than that measurement, sure. and then shim out the lens because when you're actually using the camera, you'll be able to get, you know, the best information back. Um so you could try this all over again with your new camera, put some scotch right. tape on the back or ground glass and then do that final adjustment. And it sounds like I'm being uh, over pessimistic, but you know, I've done this a lot and it it seems like the first try the thing's always a little off. It's just yeah. the way it is.
1: Right. And and that's what that first roll of film is. And one of my rules when building a camera is you never shoot a second roll of film until you've developed The first roll of film and (laughs) scanned it Um, because, I mean, that's the classic thing of a digital camera. That little picture, that little chimping window on the back of the um, uh, of the digital camera, it will only tell you if you haven't gotten a good picture. You know, if something's out of focus or, you know, somebody has their eyes closed, you can see that, but you can't see whether anything is in focus that, you know, it's just not big enough. So you have to scan it and you have to really look at it.
0: I just, I just had, I just had a really fun experience. There's a guy who always takes whatever camera I'm using and takes a picture of me. That's like a habit he has. Sure. Um, and usually I'm using when I'm around him, I'm usually using a digital camera and he's used to digital cameras. And the other day I was using a, a, an slr film camera and he grabbed it took a picture of me and then looked at the back and he had this terribly disappointed <laughs> on
1: his face. did he take another one just to be sure <laughs> there was nothing there you know it's right. like fail right. exactly exactly we've all been there we should we should say we've all been there right so okay so this is a uh the the biggest thing is okay uh if you go to uh, our Flickr group, uh, which is the homemade camera podcast flicker group. You'll see the, the, uh, paper towel roll setup that I, that I have. Uh, I took some pictures of it while I was working with one and, um, and it, basically it came down to, I had a, a lens. I had a TLR lens from the Mamiya TLRs, the Mamiya C series lenses. And it was a 55 millimeter f4, and I really wanted to use it. And uh, I thought, oh, well, 55 millimeters, then it's got a flange distance of a right around 55 millimeter, uh, millimeters. So I don't remember if I actually built, I might have I might have gone ahead and built a lens cone for that. And, um, and, you, and of course I got, oh, well, yeah. In, as you're guessing, I got improper results, and I found out that the flange distance for that third, or that 55 millimeter lens, is actually 80 millimeters. So sure. all of those C, 330 lenses start with an 80 millimeter flange distance. I well, think-
0: and and if if you if you start looking into those types of cameras, you'll pretty soon find out that they usually have. A flange back distance that's really close to their normal lens focal length and a six by six camera normal lens is 80 millimeters and then they have to design their wide lenses and their telephoto lenses specially to accommodate being stuck at that focal length and and, and that's why those you know that's the difference between a camera with a bellows right and a camera with some sort of uh, interchangeable lens kind of fixed box where you've got to make different lenses work. They have to use special extra layers of glass to, to make that, to make that come in focus. Yeah. So, so there, there's a booby trap that you usually don't have with uh, large format lenses off of Bellows cameras.
1: And, uh, for those of you who are pinhole people and, and you've just, uh, we've just confirmed that you are going to be pinhole people for the rest of your lives <laughs> for with the confusing talk. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it confuses me and I've done it a bunch of times. So, uh, But it, it, it's something you can do. Believe me, it's something you can do. But for pinhole people, there is an ideal uh, fil- pinhole to film versus film size. Okay, so the so the the distance and the size of the film will will can be plugged into a formula to give you the size of the pinhole.
0: That would work best, yes.
1: The, yeah, that will that will work best. And um, there is a pinhole calculator, and if you go to our website, uh dot com. Uh, you, and go to pinhole resources, I have a link to that calculator. So, uh, that'll give you the size. So that's actually really quickly, uh, really something quick and easy, um, that you can, uh, that you can use that's a readily available resource that has been on the web and has helped me quite a bit. So, okay, so you, you've got those, you've got the, the, um, the flange to film distance which is really important that that's uh
0: so now we figured that out
1: yeah so we've got that uh we need um we need to know you know what the film gate size is um and whether the film gate is going to be you know uh off and the film gate is the opening through which the image is shot and the film usually rests on rails on either side of that film gate so um Uh, you know, you've got to kind of figure, figure that part out as well. Um, It is one of the reasons why we use rails um, is because we want the film to be as flat as possible to get the best possible image. Um, uh, So, so that's, uh, you know, an important part of it. Then you have to kind of think about, you know, the miscellaneous parts. Um, uh, You know, how are you going to, um, you know, or what do you need to have? So, Um, are you going to need to have any of those shims and the shims can come anywhere between that film and the, you know, the flange, well, the lens at all, once the lens is mounted. So you could put, um, shims between the lens or between the body and the, and the lens cone, or between the lens cone and you know that right at the mouth between the lens cone and the, and the lens but you can put right that or or
0: in. you could even you could design your body to be in two parts and and add seg- segments um, in fact that's a way to approach a box camera for large format lenses that you You know, would need to be, because they don't have the quality of all being the same distance from the film. They need to be different distances from the film. Right. So you could make, kind of like Legos, different, uh, spacers to add or subtract from a, from a box camera approach. So there's like, it's just, think of any way you can. In fact, a lot of the old, there were old cameras before bellows were, uh, used as much that, they actually just had a box sliding inside another box. That's like, uh, and that would be a good way to kind of make us a, a step more sophisticated version of your toilet paper tube thing. Sure. Um, you you sure. just make a box that fits inside another one and then you could slide them in and out. Uh, and it doesn't even have to be totally light tight for these experiments. It's just to make it dark enough so you can see an image. So, yeah.
1: The other things are, you have to kind of think about if you have a film counter, where, where's that going to go? Um, you have to think about, uh, if you want accessory shoes and accessory shoes don't, or, you know, aren't just, uh, for flashes, but they can be for viewfinders. They can be for, um, uh, any number of things, um, light meters, uh, external light meters, those, those types of things. And, yeah, and range s- finders. Yeah. Range finders. Absolutely. And they can be, um, you know, you can have more than one on on a body there's no nothing saying that you have to stick to just one
0: and and if you're going to tip the camera on its side you may want a whole other set on the side of the camera as well
1: right yeah and that's something that uh i'm working on a six by three camera and that is one of the things that uh that i'm really looking at is i'll, I'll put an accessory shoe on either side uh for, for that
0: and um, that'd be something that you should you should come up with a a, a way to print out you could just like make strips Strips of plastic with an accessory shoe every few inches that you could cut a length off and just screw it onto your camera. Absolutely. Good
1: idea. Good idea. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, that gives you kind of, you know, the the rough needs of your camera. Then the next step is um, to think about it, right? Think about it. That's what Nick does. Uh, (laughs) So... (laughs) To think about it, and then uh, start sketching. It's true, but
0: while I've been thinking, you've made four or five cameras. So. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I've, I, I've made four or five cameras in the goal of uh, of finding one that will work. Right. Um, the so you can you can model these. You can model these a bunch of different ways. You can do it on paper. Um, you can do it in three D rendering software. Uh, I use a lot of that because I I do. 3D uh, printing builds Um, and there's quite a bit that's out there that's free that you can use Um, but uh, you know there it might be steep learning curve if you never used it but it's something that you is you know accessible in there Um, and then you know you've got it you've got a plan So so Nick, are are you in the middle of a build right now? Are you in the middle of uh working on something?
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about it as usual. Um uh, but <laughs> now that you've brought up the uh the this garbage can tra- tra- challenge, uh I realize I have to be thinking about that. And I was the other day thinking about I bought a bunch of these uh, they're called they used to call them close-up filters they're basically magnifying glasses that screw onto the filter threads of a lens right. and you can find packs of these in you know thrift stores for a couple bucks they're they're all over the place people used to use them a lot and i i used to avoid them because i thought they'd somehow degrade the image quality but um as i get more, and more interested in degraded image quality i'm not afraid of them and they actually are much better than i expected they're pretty good lenses um I fooled around with them some on a digital camera to see what they do and they, they're nice and they, they also uh, they don't make your lens longer the way a um, extension tube or bellows does so you can get in really close which is what you need on a close-up lens so they're actually pretty cool um, so i'm thinking what i think for this garbage cam i'm going to attempt to do is i'm going to find out if i can make some kind of an image directly with some of these uh, lenses, you know, because I have, I have an old box camera that it just has a plain magnifying glass for a lens, just a single element, you know, convex piece of glass. So it I know it's doable. So if I could f- start with that as the, as my garbage cam, it's like a found lens, just a magnifying glass. And then, uh, you know, find out what sort of image it projects and then decide what size box and film it needs. So that's what I've been thinking about. It'll be an experiment. If it doesn't work, I'll revert to something like a pinhole, but it will be fun.
1: Well, I've been, um, uh, I've been working on a camera, um, and I'm, and I'm working through the body part of it, the body in the film transport, uh, more than the lens end of it. Um, I, I first, pr- I, and I'm doing this as a, a 3d printed object and it's that um six by three camera I mentioned before. Um and it so it uses 120 film and it's uh fifty four by twenty eight I think twenty six maybe um wide image. So it's a one to two panorama. And um so I made the the body's fine. The body works well. Um I made a film back and using the insert concept, and the insert concept is um, is pretty much the same as what you would have on, like, a Mamaya 645, um, or even a—I a, a, I don't know if Hasselblad has them, but my Bronica— has so it's inserts. basically a,
0: a removable film transport that just gets inserted into the lightproof box. Right. That's your camera. Well,
1: right? well, it's actually there's a, a case that goes around it, and um, so but the, it,
0: but it's not independent. It's not light tight. It, it has no to be inside the, no the the, camera, the right?
1: film right the film transport is not light tight. And right. the, my the problem that I had, and you can see a 3D image of this uh, on my feed. And also on our Flickr group, um, hand, uh, homemade camera uh, podcast Flickr group, and um, it, it, it the biggest problem was that I had the film, and you know you run into these problems, and then you think what an idiot you are, but uh, you so, know yourself. So aren't. wait,
0: so like, wait, 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 are you making a, you're making an insert from scratch? From scratch, what, yeah, absolutely oh, okay, from okay. scratch,
1: completely from scratch. And um, I had the film turning a corner that was about 110 degrees. And it was, and, okay, so there, first of all, it's too sharp of a turn that uh, I've discovered. But the other thing that I was thinking about after I realized and and modified it is that um, the 120 cameras that use that kind of setup, they have rollers there. They have a big rolling pin. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> well, duh. I don't.
0: <laughs>
1: so, well, uh,
0: you at least have something fuzzy there. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Makes ex- a nice texture on the film. Right.
1: Exactly. So, so I'm gonna have to, um, I'm gonna have to figure that out. Uh, so, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be printing tomorrow um, a version of it that <clears throat> that has a much more rounded corner.
0: Um, so it doesn't it doesn't need to be super rounded it, if it's a roller. So you know, yeah, quite but it a lot doesn't of,
1: have a roller at this point. So look at look
0: at um look at a twin lens reflexes. They they go around a ninety degree bend, right? And they just use a little thin roller. And you're trying to avoid having a roller because you right. like to have scratches on on your film or something.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the deal: is that actually as it goes around that. It's the backing paper that goes around the oh, corner. Oh, okay, okay. So, right. so that it's not. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got enough. I've got enough cameras, scratch film that I don't need to make one from scratch. But <laughs> so to speak, right? Yeah, pun intended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's that's what I'm working on. The other thing is, um, I have found um, that I, you know, I have to print with this material called PLA which is a kind of a softer plastic than, than the ABS plastic that, you, that we most commonly know. And um, it, when I turn, you know, part of the deal was I was trying to wrap film around that 110 degree corner. But, uh, but I can't get a film advancement knob that works. So I designed one that'll have uh, an aluminum uh, insert and the aluminum will do the turning. So, so it, the aluminum. Yeah, that's is what the I was going to suggest.
0: Yeah. Is that you know I, I understand why you're using the plastic. Um, yeah. You've got this opportunity to experiment with it, and it's right. a good material. But it 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 strikes me that you could you could take crucial bits out of other things and right. And, and add them in so that you don't have to make everything out of plastic. Yeah, I was uh, little ro- little rollers come out of the back of a lot of old cameras. Yeah, right?
1: I was thinking about yeah. I was thinking about where I could find some. I and I think I could probably generate. Um, you know, uh, it, I could probably just take a one twenty spool and put it on yeah, that corner sure. and wrap it around that. Now I'd have to change some dimensions, so that's a. Uh, step two solution uh, just, if if step
0: one or maybe cut some of the flanges off the spool and just glue it in there somehow yeah
1: yeah well no i want it to spin i want it uh, you know oh I, you want it to turn yeah okay. yeah i want it to turn mm. in that situation yeah that's uh, yeah yeah i i think that 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 should work so so that's where i am i'm in the middle uh i'm working through it and then um i'll put a put a lens uh cone on it you know i'll build uh i'll print out a lens cone and and put a, a lens on it as well, and that's something I have to. I'll figure out this week. I can take care of that without having the transport completely, you know, figured out at this point. So, so that's where I am. That, you know, it's it's in process.
0: I just thought of something that it's a little bit out of topic, but it it's goes with what we talked about earlier. Um, focusing mechanisms we didn't really discuss so much. Most of the time, most of the time. Most of us are used to some sort of helical that makes it either the lens or the front of the lens go in and out. But, and then, and then we see bellows and bellows generally make the lens go back and forth. Same idea. But there's, there's a wonderful exception to that rule, which is one of, the, one of the old Mamiya press cameras had the lens fixed on the front. Um, and those lenses did have a helical for focusing, but they had the whole The the support for the film holder was on a bellows. And so you move the film back and forth instead of moving the lens back and forth. And it's a really straightforward, simple, like if you want to engineer something yourself and you can't deal with a helical, you don't have to move the lens. You can move the film. Same thing. And in fact, that one allows tilt. And it has a threaded rod in each corner so you can... Not only make it go back and forth, but you can tilt it in any direction as well. And then, it allows.
1: And then if you put ground glass in there, you can focus and you can compose and you can do, yeah, that's interesting. And you
0: could, and you could put a, you could put a focusing scale on that too. You could just have like a little millimeter scale and just mark it off, you know. So, so that, so that, that's something that I often get stuck on is, oh, you know, what am I going to use for helical? Well, you don't actually need that. You just need a way to, change the distance so yeah yeah.
1: oh interesting so okay so so this is the part of the podcast where we go over letters and emails from our listeners but we don't have any because uh, (laughs) (laughs) i guess we're too new nobody wants to you know nobody wants to write to us so well but
0: there um, are there are a bunch of discussions that have just started up on the Flickr group and so i think people uh, that's how people communicate now so
1: so, yeah, yeah, um, come to uh, those of you who are Flickr people, uh, come to our Flickr group, homemade camera dot, uh, <laughs> homemade camera podcast. That's what it is there. So, um, uh, yeah, come and, come and talk to us there. Uh, I wanted to talk, uh, specifically about that. I wanted to, uh, mention a couple of our, uh, contributors in, uh, the, the Flickr group, um, one of them is uh, Dirk Fletcher, and Dirk Fletcher has this incredible picture of a custom 6x12 camera that he made from a Zeiss Ikonta 520-15 folder, very much like what I have done with my Franken camera. So this would be a Franken camera, but he has done it so that it looks like it was made from the beginning for this purpose. He really finished it out very nicely. Yes. It it is incredible. And he shoots, um, uh, a Schneider Kreuznach, uh, 65 millimeter, 5.6 super Angulon on, on that. Uh, and it looks like he does have a helical on it. Uh, it's quite a large helical. Um, but, uh, but it looks like a really nice camera. Um, so I'd love to see some of his other stuff as well. I've seen a few other ones. Uh, but this is, this is, this is just a beautiful
0: machine. Yeah, we've got a number of, uh, really interesting cameras that people have posted and looking forward to seeing more. I'll just mention one of the other people, uh, just this time, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but Sandeha Lynch is a British photographer who makes really cool cameras. Uh, and if you look at his Stuff on Flickr, you can see some amazing examples, uh, and there's just a few posted here. Uh, they're they're all over the map, from really sophisticated to really simple. He, he makes everything, yeah, um, and he, he great. And
1: he has one uh, that I liked in particular, which was a um, uh, contact. Oh, excuse me, a uh, Practica FX2 uh, that he put a pinhole on the front of. But then he cut out uh, on either side of the film gate. So it is no longer 24 by 36 or 28 by 36. It's 28 by 60. So it's a really nice wide uh, uh, pinhole uh, camera. And this is a perfect example of what we're talking about with starting with a body. Um, You know, it's uh, and it's just it's a relatively minor adjustment that he's made. Uh, he's made it a little bit taller and a little bit wider. Um, oh, oh, sorry, a little bit taller and a lot wider uh, for that film gate. And, uh, and I guess he's taken out the shutter mechanisms. Uh, so, so that's, uh, that's quite uh, uh, an amazing machine. Uh, I also have uh, Danielle Sandry, uh, and I hope I pronounced that correct there. Um, and it is, uh, this is a, this is another example, um, okay, so I'll describe the camera. Uh, or it's not necessarily even a finished camera at this point. What it is, is it's a Hasselblad back on a wood body, but the wood body looks kind of rough. Let's just say it doesn't look as, um, as precision made as the rest of as the back. And then there's a lens sitting down um, uh, on the ground. And this looks like it's in the process of being made. And uh, it's a great example of just using that body as a spacer um, using the, uh, the lens, this lens that we're looking at is not a Hasselblad lens. It's a um, leaf shutter lens off another camera. And this is, uh, you know, a perfect hybrid of uh, of several different systems with with a built part in between.
0: Yep, that's a good way to do it. I, you know, I'm going to mention another person. There's a Swedish photographer who calls himself Jojonas on Flickr. Maybe that's his real name. I don't know. Um, and he does uh, a range of stuff. Um, but his simplest camera of all, I, I really, uh, it sort of inspired me try some really really basic things um with the garbage cam challenge and he's been posting a lot of stuff too anyway i uh yeah, i'm really a, excited
1: i was gonna say he had a pinhole made out of a pringles can that i thought was pretty interesting
0: yeah the one i really like is a yogurt container yeah and it's the way he placed the light sensitive material in it that is really interesting Yeah, and anyway uh there is something to be said for doing these very simple experiments because you can, you can get a lot farther from your sort of normal comfort zone with some of this stuff and, you know, get really new results. And, and it, that's, that's the part that I'm most excited about with this podcast effort so far is the, uh, c- conversations with other people who make cameras. Um, so I'm looking forward to more right. of that.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and we've been finding a lot and, uh, you know, w- when we started this, I was thinking this is going to be such a small niche. Um, you know, first of all, we're working in film, um, you know, in the digital age and then, uh, you know, and there are a lot of other film podcasts out there. Um, and then I thought, you know, uh, and, and we're going to be talking about these, things that we make and you know, and and when we started really looking around Flickr, there are a ton of people out there doing it. So yeah. um, you know, so yeah. we're we're really excited and we wanna uh, you know, get in contact with you and, you know, join our Flickr group um and uh and send us emails and uh and and all that uh type of stuff. So um uh how did, how would they get a hold of you, Nick?
0: Uh I can't remember. Nick
1: at um, HomemadeCamera.com Nick at Uh, (laughs) HomemadeCamera.com And you can get a hold of me, uh, Graham, at HomemadeCamera.com And Graham is spelled G-R-A-H-A-M You can also email the podcast Uh, So podcast at uh, HomemadeCamera.com We also, uh, we have a, a webpage And our webpage is homemadecamera.com, obviously, because I've been uh, talking about it like that. So, um, and uh, who does our music?
0: Okay, so I want to thank Robbie Cribbs who created the music that we're using uh, throughout the podcast. And it's got a camera theme, and I really appreciate him taking the time to make that music for us. Thanks, Robbie.
1: And we'll be back in two weeks, and we'll talk about uh, another component This was the body, we'll be talking about lenses or shutters or or something else along those lines once we make that decision on what it's going to be. But we'll be back in two weeks, so uh, look for us then. The Homemade Camera Podcast is part of the Film Photography Podcast Network. So if you have a podcast you'd like to submit to the network, visit filmpodcastnetwork.com where you'll find a listing of all sorts of uh, different podcasts. Most in English, we have at least one up in Swedish on that, uh, on that site. So uh, visit that, and you'll find uh, a ton of different podcasts to listen to. So,
0: oh, I want to add one thing. Sure. Uh, Robbie, who made the music, uh, his outfit is called Soundtrap Studios.
1: Okay. So we'll talk to you in two weeks. <laughs>